All right. Welcome to Crow Talk. It is me and Yamil Flores, my co-host, and Danny. I cannot pronounce your last name. Petrasco. Petrasco. Okay. Probably should have asked you that before uh, started recording. That's pretty rude. Wow, guys. (laughs) Anyways, welcome to season two. We are back. Yes, we are. Yeah. So. I'm just gonna jump right in. Let's get let's get to Danny. Can you can you tell us and whoever is listening to Curl Talk about you? Ooh, good question. Start at the beginning about me. Wow, well, my name is Butter Moon. Yeah. But but within the moon. Um. About me, about me, about me. Well, um, I am 22. Uh, recently graduated from Temple. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Turn up. Temple. Mm-hmm. TV turn up. Um, with a degree in uh, creative writing poetry. Really? That's so cool. Yes. Um, which was very much an effective choice for me, uh, emotionality-wise, perhaps not career-wise. Um, but very much enjoyed that track. That I chose. I started off bio pre med, um, which was doable and I was good at it, but um, drained me completely emotionally. Mm-hmm. Just the creativity in my name. Yeah. Just crunching numbers and worrying about how to find shit. There's not much to it. So um, that was switched halfway through. Second year of Temple, I switched over to English. Um, and my whole life changed. Uh, started taking classes that were more oriented around my identity and my creativity. Um, but I had come out the first, nope, second semester of college. And coming out in such a sort of intensive program uh, collapsed me in school in a lot of really heavy ways. It's the only semester on my transcript where I have C's and F's, C's, D's and F's. So um, it was kind of crushing. Uh, Coming out is not easy, Um, but it happened. And then going into the English program after that, I definitely was revived because I was surrounded by like-minded people um, whose minds sort of functioned on the wavelength that mine did. Um, So that was school. I was in a monogamous relationship from freshman year to senior year. Um, I don't regret it. I learned a lot from that. I was a child though when it started and I grew up in a relationship essentially throughout school and my coming out process wasn't an individual one. It was very much a very codependent one. Yeah, so that I wonder often how that affects my own identity Um, because I definitely didn't do it alone at all. Um, Yeah. That's intriguing to to go into the codependent type of coming out as opposed to coming out individually and how it affects the entire process. So it would be cool to get this side of, of your process of how you went about it having somebody by your side sure. and 
maybe comparing and contrasting that to someone who had to do it all alone. alone. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then you have somebody that does it completely alone, and then having their entire family against them, maybe. You know, their yeah. friends and family. That's going to be a really cool dynamic. I look forward to the season. This is going to be pretty It's going to be really interesting. Um, I also came out uh, while I was uh, with Tatiana. So I, I don't think I could... I don't know. I think coming out while you're in a relationship is really a supportive environment mm-hmm. to come out in, especially because at least coming out to my family, I was like, hey, like, I'm, I'm queer and this is my partner. So right. it's like there's something to support it. Almost like it, I don't even think it needs to be that way, though. That's another thing. Like, I don't think there needs to be evidence of your like gayness for you to come mm-hmm. out and like, even though it made it easier for me, I, uh, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't, but there's definitely sort of an intriguing aspect if we look into, sort of deeply into the, to the structures of human connection that we've sort of curated over the years, over, over the centuries, um, where we've structured ourselves to believe that you know, just heteronormativity in general, then. In like general. You're going to be straight, that's your standard, so you have to... The, the idea of coming out is actually a very sort of tedious, very heavy, very loaded topic in the first place, because coming out automatically signifies this sense that you're, different. You, you're already different, and you're already going to be drifting away from the norm in ways that are going to exhaust you in ways that you're going to require the sort of upheaval of your identity and you're not going to have it easy. You're not going to, it's not going to be a sort of process that is understandable to people. You're going to have to explain yourself. Um, so for me, coming out um, with another person, um, the codependency that developed with that person very much resided in a place of, holy shit, we just came out together we feel alone together, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you and you sort of start to, to kind of latch onto this person because they become an expression the, of you. Oh, in so many ways. Yeah. You know. So all of a sudden, you have this person that understands what you're going through and is very connected to what you're going through and is very much the sort of conduit of what you're going through. And the, for me, the catalyst also. Um, because prior to having met this person, I, you know, I dated men in high school. I was never happy. I was never satisfied. I kept hooking up with women outside of my relationships. But the other funny part of that is that that was never a threat, because we also fetishize, you know, women. Uh, I want to get into this right. so badly. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the fetishization of queer relationships between female-bodied individuals is, is a very interesting space. So we actually go to this go to this idea. It's the same way that men won't have a threesome with another dude and their girlfriend, but they will absolutely have a threesome with another chick and their girlfriend. Yeah, you mean go for it. I, absolutely. <laughs> I don't date these concerns. Um, for some reason, coming from a straight male, there's there's a big dynamic in that I can't for the life of me. Maybe maybe this podcast is gonna help me unfold this in my own mind, but for some reason, while I will absolutely accept my girlfriend saying, "Hey, I want to bring another girl into the bedroom," mm-hmm. 
I'd be like, oh, okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't feel threatened by that. Mm -hmm. However, you tell me, hey, this is my friend Frank, uh -huh. and you let him walk into the room and he starts taking off his shirt, I'm going to want to punch him in the face. Right. I don't know why. I can like, tell you why. Is you want, sure, you want sure. like it's and, and and I'm not threatened by you know. As a matter of fact, I would say that probably the majority of my closest friends are homosexual, male or female, just you know, in in some way, shape, or form. So I'm not threatened by the idea, I, but for some reason, I I you know, I've I've gotten uh, approached by a couple in in an open relationship. Sure. The girl had three girlfriends, one of whom lived with them. She's married to her male partner. Okay. He has a boyfriend. Okay. And they all love each other. They all openly love each other, and they had such a beautiful dynamic. I'm sitting there having drinks and stuff with, with these, what do you call that? that polyamorous. That, yeah, that, that, the polyamorous dynamic. It was beautiful. They were all smiling, laughing, having drinks, and... <clears throat> Eventually, you know, the, 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 the guy, the husband of, of this relationship had introduced the idea of me going back with them. <clears throat> I know many men that would be extremely offended by something like that. I wasn't. I was just like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Like, it, that's never been opened up to me, but I didn't know how to feel. Like, it was, it was a lot it was a lot to take in at, the, at that moment. So I didn't know. And by then I was like four glasses of whiskey deep. You know, so like my, my, my maybe judgment wasn't in the right place. I didn't know how to react, but I went back to their place with them, you know, and, and I, I didn't know, how, like once, if things were going to start happening, how I was going to react. But I wasn't grossed out by the idea at that moment when it was offered to me. But then as things unfold, I, I felt very uncomfortable. It was really weird. Mm -hmm. And it was only like, you know, when the girls are kissing and stuff, awesome. It's, I'm familiar with that. But I'm not familiar with some guy trying to touch me. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, that's, the yeah. dynamic that I can wrap my well, head around. I don't know. I think there's a boundary between, like... Yeah, your meal just started, guys. <laughs> no, that was... And no, that's, um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, that's mm -hmm. the difference between you and another maybe slightly homophobic person that would be, like, repulsed by the entire concept of it sure. or versus someone that just isn't attracted like you don't just because you're not like attracted to two men hooking up or like doing something or interested in partaking that doesn't mean that you're um like homophobic either it just means that that's your preference and like sure. you're perfectly allowed to mm -hmm. to like have that preference um but even the fact that you were like interested in the situation or like open to it is like great i mean I mean, it's not like inherently bad or good, but I mean, yeah. I, I think it, I personally think it's wonderful that that when the time came, I actually because you don't know how you're going to react to that kind of thing until especially if you're drunk. <laughs> well, and, and that too, that, that, yeah. that probably helped the dynamic. But you know, for 
for me to walk up to another straight dude and be like, hey, what would you say if this polyamorous couple introduced you to It's an interesting this? situation, and I'm glad that you yeah. bring it up, too, because... I don't know if we've discussed it before. We have. Well, you've, like, yeah. told me about the situation, but, yeah. I ha- it like, has never really, like, I've never applied it to, like, how I would feel in that situation if yeah. I was in your shoes, either. Yeah. But, anyways, let's take it back. Yeah, yeah. Why were we talking about this? Well, <laughs> it was based off something that, that she said that kind of brought it up. They. Um, they, yeah, I apologize. You see, you see what I mean with the dynamic? I'm not totally sensitive to, to the... Yeah, so I'm going to bounce off of some of what you said for yeah, sure. Yeah, um, firstly, you used homosexual, and you know, a lot of your friends are homosexual. I think that that can be a sort of dangerous choice of words when you mm. speak about the LGBTQIA plus community yeah. at large because homosexuality refers to women on women, men on men, mm. and not all queer people are necessarily identifying as women mm. or men. Mm. Not all queer people are necessarily not cis. Like, I know I have a lot of friends that are a cis male and a cis female dating who still identify as queer. Mm. Um, so, um, you just have to sort of be careful mm. where we tread um, with sort of this binary. And, and, and it's funny because the binary very much is, the sort of standard binary is going to be man and woman dating. And then there's also the binary of there only being heterosexuality and homosexuality, it also goes mm-hmm. much deeper than that. Yeah. So that language can be slightly problematic when you start to discuss the LGBTQIA community beyond beyond sort of yeah two men dating, two women dating, yeah. two yes. cis men dating, two cis women yeah. dating. Um, so that's just the sort of nuance yeah, there. For clarifying that, I, I would never have thought of it that way, it, which is exactly what I was telling you before we right. started recording. Was that we have this two opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, where I'm, I'm not exposed to these things. So, you know, when, when I say something that doesn't match up to the sensitivities that you're familiar with, it's not me being offensive, it's me not having been or exposed Or not knowing, to, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just I've never right. known. And that's why we're such good friends, because I'm able to communicate these moments where, like, things, like, don't line up quite right. And I'm obviously, like, I am... Every single day I'm working on being as politically correct as possible, and it's... You don't want to be. <laughs> you don't want to be. Yeah. Oh, political correct- correctness well, is a drug that dives right into another space that... Politics yeah. that, that we don't well, want. <laughs> I wouldn't say politically correct. I guess I, I want my knowledge to be up to par with where... Sensitivity where, should be. Where maybe. sensitivities should be, and also... Like... I don't know. I, I, I want to create a space that's open to everyone. And obviously, I'm not perfect, and you know, isn't perfect. But I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Which, interestingly enough, you, you mentioned the word queer. And to me, I've only ever known the word queer to be a negative, terrible thing that you do not say. That is, yeah. And, and now, over these I last. I have queer. Yeah, and, and these last. Maybe a couple of weeks to maybe a few months, I've been hearing it so often. Sure. Where people say, no, I'm queer. And I'm like, whoa, don't say that. You can't say that. Because <laughs> I did some research the other day, and the word queer, obviously, originally it was used as a slur, and it's now reappropriated as um, like a, a gender identity, but or a sexual identity, sexuality, oh, and everything, all of the above. 
Mm. So, and it, it, I think people from your generation and people that are older I'm, than you. I'm 90. <laughs> <laughs> from <laughs> your generation and older. <laughs> think of that word as an insult. Yeah. And it's it's no longer or. When did I mean, that change? I, I didn't know that changed. Oh, sorry oh, guys. So pizza. <laughs> That's Julie's one. By Hello. The way. That's priorities calling. She, she asked us to make sure we turn. One fifty six Fairmont Avenue. And the only yes, person in the room. Wait, but guess who didn't? Yeah. It yeah. was Only Julia. It was only the host of the show. I'm pretty um, sure her well, name give me one is second. on the page that this I'm that, that the host's name is It is Curl Talk. By Julia Davis. What? Oh, we're talking about. We're how talking, we discussing about how we all respectfully turned off our phones. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I try to do things for the greater good. Yeah. Sure. And pizza, pizza, I, I, you know, I'm I did say pizza. that priorities are important. Priorities are important. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm gonna take it yes. back since we have already brought up pronouns and the usage of they instead of. She slash yeah. her pronouns. Yeah. Danny, when did you begin to use the pronoun they? I, it was very fluid for a while. <clears throat> I, um, let's say, okay, so I came out my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, by my, I don't want to say end of sophomore year, beginning of junior year, I started to dress more androgynously. By senior year, I had chopped my hair. Um, and just like slowly started to like inform myself as to who I wanted to be um, in small ways. Um, and then one day, um, one of my exes and I dropped acid, and I realized <laughs> that I was genderqueer in that trip and um, kind of put words to that feeling and that, and that experience that I was having, which was. Horrifying and actually kind of turned me upside down for a while. The next day, I went and got strawberry uh, strawberry milk for the first time since my childhood. And as I was grabbing it off the shelf, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm having a crisis right now! Holy shit. I'm having a crisis! I just got strawberry milk of all things! Like the crazy. That's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> That's when that shit's good. <laughs> turn. Things are turn. Um, so, I went to, so I went to work, and the worker was like, how are you? I was like, I'm genderqueer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Wow. So I had this like very sort of intense three months after that where I went back and forth a lot about like, what did that mean for me? Then my body started to fight me. I had a lot of gender dysphoria. I had a lot of body dysphoria. I started to freak the fuck out completely about everything that was going on and just sent me into a pitfall. Um, and I started to introduce they them pronouns after that to friends, um, which was weird because I didn't push it at all. I sort of just said, these are my preferred pronouns. I'm not going to fight you on it if you still use she, her. Mm-hmm. But um, I would get sort of disheveled a little bit when she, her pronouns were used, but I wasn't ready to really fight that fight too hard. Gotcha. Um, so that was about a year ago. Recently, though, I've been revisiting she, her pronouns more. Um, they, them for me is right now, but much more of a very sort of politically driven 
sense than it mm, is as that. much of a gender identity because mm. I tr truly believe that gender is a construct. So it's not for me so much right now rooted in me needing to be very forward with how I identify very intrinsically and personally, but rather to sort of further the destruction of this gender binary that we've created. Mm. But my femininity has been more comfortable for me lately and not really sure why, um, but it's, um, I've been more sort of fluid in how I, how I feel each day. Mm -hmm. So when I get identified as she, her, it doesn't feel as shitty right now. Um, so my perspective right now is very much that my preference in they, them is still very rooted in political, uh, in very political places. And on that note, for anyone that doesn't know what genderqueer means, I'm just going to go ahead and plug that right in here. Genderqueer, according to the dictionary, um, <laughs> is an adjective denoting or relating to a person who does not subscribe to conventional gender distinctions, but identifies with neither, both, or a combination of male and female genders. And this word, um, actually, my partner and I were having an argument about um, not an argument, but don't, we don't, argue. we don't actually, we really don't argue, um, but genderqueer and non-binary having similar but different meanings mm -hmm. and genderqueer, what I found is that is, is rooted more in a political strategy, um, positioning the person sort of in a, in a, in a way that allows like challenging the binary and um, utilizing the word queer, which does have um, a political, you know, undertone of fighting against the system that has um, hoped for everyone to be hetero, basically. So for anyone, that was just my little plug for anyone that does not know what that term is or has never heard that term. Um, and also you had mentioned the word dysphoria, which is, um, Actually, gonna put another dictionary plug in there. I was gonna say that up until today, if somebody referred to Julia, who's one of my best friends on earth, and they said, "Oh, Julia, she's a queer," I'd want to punch him in the face because I've only ever known it to be a negative thing. Well, you see, if I think if somebody said Julia is a queer, I would probably also punch that person in the face. Ah. There's, there's sort of a. But if they said, oh yeah, Julia identifies as queer, Julia yeah. is queer. Okay. Um, I think that whenever we say, maybe that's a very much a sort of a, a pet peeve of mine, yeah. to say someone is a something, yeah. because mm -hmm. we're never we're never to reduce somebody's identity to yeah, something. To so something. Julia okay. is queer, she's also a this and a this. Julia is a dancer and, and is queer and is this. But to say Julia is a whatever mm -hmm. reduces, it's like saying that like, Robert, Robert, is an elephant at the zoo. It's like, yeah. well, that's like his entire identity in that moment. It's like, we need yeah. to make sure that we don't reduce people with yeah. sort of our syntax, if that makes sense. That's true. Brevity I don't know. Also, nice. please don't punch anyone in the face. Yeah, I, 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 I practice nonviolence in my life. And this <laughs> is a nonviolent platform. Just, yeah, this, um, this is. I, just I won't punch anyone. No I punching anyone. No punch. uh, I've actually never been called a queer um, yeah. before. Yeah. I, I don't know. Surprisingly, I... I haven't experienced a lot of um, any like um, quote homosexual slurs, um, mm -hmm. which I found sort of interesting because as I dressed in a more androgynous way or presented myself as queer, um, I guess I realized like people don't 
I don't know, they have one idea of like what queer and homosexual looks like. And if I don't look that way, people aren't going to assume that I'm queer unless they know me, which has been really interesting because, I mean, I came out when I was 21. And so I have like this whole previous life of not being, not presenting myself as queer and then to present myself as queer and then people almost not acknowledging it or um, being like, oh, she's not actually it's queer. A <laughs> it's a face. That's the yeah. funny one. Um, well, queer, it's funny that you keep saying that, mm-hmm. you keep driving back to this idea that the queerness or the idea of like queer and language of being identified as queer, especially mm-hmm. from the outside, can be a sort of very derogatory mm-hmm. choice in language. Um, excuse me. I think that for a lot of sort of the more millennial and whatever the next generation is, um, queer individuals, what queer can signify, what queer can feel and mean is actually very much a refusal of the labeling that comes from lesbian, gay, bi. We, for me personally, queerness and the choice to identify in that way is very much a refusal of the world at large and their tendency to want to label things for their own comfort. Mm. If I know what you are, mm-hmm. I can feel safe around you. If I know that you're, if I know that you're a gay man, yeah, and I can go, okay, I'm a woman. I can feel safe with you. There's like this like idea that you know this like very much like this fetishization of like the gay best friend yeah like, okay you're a gay man i can go shopping with you yeah. and like there's like this like fetishization of each sort of route that yeah. the queer person can exist in this queer realm yeah. that like that we can create like yeah okay like you're like you're like the butch lesbian okay i'm a very like effeminate like i'm like extremely feminine and like straight so like right. i don't feel safe around you because of like your identity and like all these different ways that like labeling play into microaggressions mm-hmm. and um just sort of the marginalization at broad mm-hmm. of of queer individuals so identifying as queer sort of leaves a lot of ambiguity because yeah. then number one you can't come at me or question me when my identity shifts every fucking day you know what I mean? Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling extremely androgynous today. I'm feeling extremely masculine today. I'm feeling super super feminine today. I'm going to dress this way today. Today, I'm, and and my my sexuality shifts in all these different ways. And it's really sort of dangerous for us to label. And I think that this applies not only to queer individuals, but also to straight identified individuals, mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in a box too, because those it's days when you true. wake up or you get really drunk at a bar and you're like, I think I want to kiss my friend. And your friend isn't part of your standard sort of rotation of what you should be attracted to based on how you identify, you have a fucking crisis. Yeah. Because it's not what you've assigned yourself, it's not what society has allowed you to feel, yeah. and you then panic. So I think queerness is sort of this like, on the part of of LGBT folk, it's an opportunity to sort of reclaim what has been violent towards us, towards us quite often. Um, and it's not reserved, and this isn't unique to the LGBTQIA plus community at all. There's there's plenty of marginalized communities that have reclaimed and taken back mm-hmm. the terms 
that we have used sure. for very derogatory right. ways. So it's it's a process that a lot of marginalized groups are familiar with, and it's and it's a very sort of forcing back against the process of discrimination. Yeah, yeah and, and even even still, even though you both have described to me um, the the idea of how the concept of queerness maybe uh, if I'm describing that properly how it's acceptable now to use that word, um, I have the same kind of concept, even when I'm hearing you guys talk about queer, I think of the word faggot. Uh -huh. And I just heard somebody, I think it was today or yesterday, there was a group of, of young boys, probably like 15, you know, and, and they were referring to one of their friends, and they were like, oh, he's a faggot, he's a faggot. When I hear you guys use the word queer, you equate the two. It does. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It for some reason I feel like the word faggot is kind of equal to the word queer. I can't speak to the experience of. I think it, it maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like historically, faggot tends to be um, sort of directed at the gay male. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, and I could be wrong yeah. about that. But yeah. um, I I'm speaking sort of out of my ass on that. Yeah, I, but, I don't know. But, um, and I can't speak for whether or not it's been reclaimed heavily in that community, um, or in that like, part of, of the community, yeah. but what I can say is that things like saying that's gay, he's a faggot, mm. she's a dyke, mm. things like that are notoriously driven by hatred, but what's yeah. interesting is that there are words that are making their way back into these communities in ways that are sort of empowering. Mm -hmm. like, Dyke is very freely used in uh, sort of like female-driven uh, queer communities. Mm. Like, she's like, you know, she's a butch dyke, and like, it's not necessarily, it's not, it's an not, insult. it's not an insult. It's, it's more like, of an identity. Yeah, it's like she, she's, oh yeah, like this is like a dyke bar, and like, mm -hmm. if you <laughs> if you said that, like, I feel like this is one of those situations where it's like, if you said that. This that wouldn't really be yeah. Can I? But queer is okay for you to say. So like I, yeah. I'm actually kind of starting to question my own. Right. Like where is that line? That's and why where I'm at. That's where I'm at. in my headspace. That's where I'm at. I'm like I, I still don't know where, where to draw the lines. Yeah. Like, what's okay? But and what's not? Drawing a line is a concept that I've been thinking about lately because along the lines of reclaiming things, uh, my partner and I, we like it's become a joke because. I, I think back to like middle school boys like being like that's gay to each other and so um, my partner and I will like joke around with each other like when one of us like does something like romantic with each other we'll be like yeah you're gay and like we'll like reclaim it and so sometimes I'll like be hanging out with my friends and like I'll, I'll make a joke like that and then Recently, I had someone say, like, you're allowed to say that? And I was like, huh. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, let's think about this, actually. Um, and I was just thinking about, like, who's allowed to say what? And, well, it feels like it, feels like, like it speaks to your experience. It's sort of a, an open field. There, right. right. And I thought it was funny that a straight person was telling me that. Well, because I'm know, not straight. Oh, should we get into allies? <laughs> True, yeah, allies. That's another important thing to talk about. But I guess I I disagree with someone being able to to measure someone else's queerness on a scale like that and 
then decide what's acceptable or not to say based on that. Mm. Which I, I, I don't know. I've never been in that situation before, so I, I thought it was funny. But that we sort of have these, like, codified rules of what you can and can't say that are sort of unspoken. Mm. So. I had... Excuse <coughs> me. I have a... <coughs> an older coworker, he's in his late 30s, who often refers to things as he'll say, he's so fucking gay. He's so fucking gay. Mm-hmm. And every time he says that, or or he says, or he says, that's gay, there, there was this one scenario where he said, what was it in regard to? Some sort of material object, like I'll just plug something <laughs> random. Yeah. Um, these curtains are gay. And I said, that's weird. I don't ever really feel like a curtain. They're nice curtains, though. I like <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and I kind of, and he looked at me, he looked at me and he was like, I don't, oh, I, I mean, I won't. I just, because it's not, he's like, I'm just informing you in a small way that yeah. your language doesn't really make sense beyond the derogatory aspect of what you're saying. So like your language doesn't fit any 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 aspect of the queer identity of the gay identity other than the fact that you that you think of it in a derogatory way. What I've noticed is that sometimes people will make comments like that to almost like announce the elephant in the room and see, engage your reaction too, which is something mm. that I've noticed like um like bringing back to what you were talking about earlier, I was working in a restaurant and um, this one of my coworkers was like, um, "Oh, Julia's gay! Like now she's like my girlfriend. Like we're cool now." And like puts their arm around me and I'm like, "Just because I like you now know that I have an attraction to like I'm attracted to to females as well. Like that doesn't automatically." Like, we ain't best buds now. Like, you're also, I'm still not attracted to you. So, <laughs> we tread into this space of like the commodification or the fetishization. Fetish. Yeah, it is yeah, the, actually the worst word. Fetishization <laughs> of yeah. your body. And it's a really sort of frustrating space to exist in because if we look at the way that um, people respond to the queer body, to the gay body, to the, yeah. to the LGBTQIA body in at large, what happens often is this sort of sense of they, they think that they can create solidarity based on your identity. So for me, quite often, based both on how I present and on how I uh, claim my sexuality, because I, I do claim to be predominantly attracted to female-bodied individuals, men think that they have solidarity with me. Oh, you know I, I mean? fucking hate that. So it's so often, annoying. It's, it's horrifying. So what ends up happening is that I end up being on the receiving end of, yo, who'd you fuck last night? Or like, get some play? Like, blah, 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 things like that. Like, like, oh, what, what do you think of that girl's ass? And it, it, it pulls me into this misogyny and into this misogynistic sexist space because they think that because of how I identify right. that I am going to have solidarity with right. their very misogynistic perspectives. Right. And what's not kind of wrong about that is quite often queer misogyny is a product of someone's identity because, I mean, when you already don't fit at all, you want to fit somehow. So like queer misogyny is a product of the sense mm-hmm. of like, I don't fit. A lot of people have a lot of judgments about me. 
if I take on some of these sort of male archetypes, I can at least fit back into Passing. that space. Oh, Passing. It's, it's like, yes. exactly. So like you start to pass as not male necessarily, if that's, if that's how you're identifying, but rather as like male friendly. It's like you're one of the guys. And that space of being that's one so of the guys bad. is so toxic. And it's such an issue. It's such, it's such a leech in, yeah. in the queer community because it takes, it just sort of like pulls us back out of like this yeah. progress forward. Yeah. yeah. It, but then it being a straight dude like me and, and two different generations going from 20 to 30, you know, now like, I'm like, all right, I don't know how I should talk to this girl or this person or this, you know, so like, I don't know how to do. So what I'm going to say is something we have in common. I'm going to be like, hey, vaginas, am I right? And, and go for a high five. You know what I mean? Because now we have something in common. There's a common, I mean, the, you, you, you need to find yeah, a common ground. And I understand that. Like one of my best friends post coming out was like, yo, can we just talk about it? Can we talk about it? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like whatever, like it's fine. But like there is something very like degrading within that that space because it's like, oh, now you're included in our vagina club. And I'm like, hey, I don't need your, I don't need your, um, like, permission, yeah. Yeah. you know, because it's, it's not a space, like, it's just not a healthy space for any, like, queer or lesbian identifying person to feel like they have to, like, abide by these male, um, male specified traits just because they also, like, well, it's sort of a return back to, um, sort of your reduction of your identity to your queerness, isn't it? In some way, it's this, right. it's this, oh, you have this friend who now understands that you're queer, your identity now revolves around your queerness. So often, this happens with our friends when we come out, it's your identity becomes so attached to who you are in your sexuality. Never, ever have you looked at a straight person, I can guarantee you, and reduced their fucking identity to what they, to, to who they want to bone or who they want to love. Right. Have I, have you ever experienced somebody coming up to you and be like, you love vaginas. <laughs> I wish that. Tell would. me about that. Tell I me wish about someone that. would. Yeah. Tell me about that. I tell you, that, that is an absolutely excellent point. Rather, when you get to know somebody, they say, what do you do for work? Yeah, what do yeah. you like? Oh, what's your life like? What are your hobbies? Yeah. There's not, something not, so... What's eating pussy like? Right, there's something so inappropriate <laughs> Whoa, about questions like that and like, yeah. assumptions like that because like like Danny said no one's gonna no one when they first meet you is gonna jump down your throat and start being like so what kind of genitalia do you prefer yeah. it just doesn't it's it's totally out of like nowhere when mm -hmm. things like that come up and I, I experienced a lot of that when I was working in the, my past job I experienced a lot of that and people assuming that I they can relate to me automatically and I really had nothing in common with these people at all at all especially mm -hmm. after they said that yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that sounded like there were fireworks out there, there for anyone that needed to know um, so yeah it, I'm, I think it, it's almost I don't know can we check the I only set a time for my parking because Oh, Philly. <laughs> I fucking hate Philly oh, for the parking. Okay, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into I'm going to choke the microphone. Pretty much the point is he's really upset. <laughs> he's really upset about parking in Philly. So, um, I want to get more into Danny personally, like, um, 
your experiences. So I I want to know. So you you were sort of getting into like this point of like when you were sort of self actualizing and understanding your identity. Sure. Um, but I want to know like when did you feel comfortable enough to externalize it or um, like mm. or on the other hand like do you not feel comfortable externalizing mm. it um, and mm. what stands in your way of feeling comfortable with everything. your with your own identity oh everything but I mean I am I'm I am extremely confident in my body I am extremely confident in my identity I am proud of it. I wouldn't change it for the world, and it fluctuates every day, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Um, I think that one of the most exciting parts of my life is that I wake up every day feeling like a different person, um, and with different complexities. Uh, not in my emotionality necessarily, but just like what I'm feeling every day sort of shifts, and it's okay. Um, where that, where that happened, where that started to sort of manifest itself. Um, probably the comfort happened probably six months after I changed my pronouns. Um, I started to become a little bit more aggressive in, in demanding them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that space after that, and sort of after that bout of like, do I want top surgery or not? Do I want tea or not? What is happening here? And realizing like, oh no, I'm like, I don't really need any of these things, but my identity is like really relevant to me. Um, and I need to make sure that I'm restructuring the people around me to understand that, like, this is who I am and you need to respect that aspect of me. As I started to sort of command and demand that respect from my peers and the people around me, I certainly started to become more comfortable. There continue to be and will always be spaces where that is not possible. My workplace right now, I consistently would walk in to work and hear, um, Oh, there's Danny. You a boy or a girl today? Oh shit. To where I work right now. Um, and at one, it all started. The first comment was, "Oh look, Danny wants to be female today." And I don't even remember why that was said. <laughs> I experienced that in my workplace mm-hmm. too. They would, the, my coworkers would say, like, "I don't understand. How can she? How can she wear a dress one day and then another day look like a boy?" <laughs> so because, you're not alone. <laughs> because what we what we've structured and what we where we exist very very deeply and it's inherent and it's actually let me retract that statement. It is not inherent. It is very learned behavior. Yeah. You come out of the fucking womb with a gender assignment already happening. If you are a girl, you are wearing pink. You're wearing dresses. You have pink toys, you have Barbie dolls, etc. If you're a boy, you have blue clothing, you have pants, you have trucks, you have Nerf guns, etc. For men, inherently, dominance, uh, gender assignment to like dark, sort of green, blue colors is already like happening. Already, in, in, that, in, in those small infantile moments, you're already experiencing assignment of, of gender, of your maleness to colors, things, places, clothing, etc. Same thing for women. We are attaching femininity to the color pink and the color red and the color (laughs) orange and all of these different things. So from from zero, 
you're learning that there are different things that are meant for you and your gender. You grow up and it starts to sort of build, like where those, where what, what your gender is allowed to do. So you learn as a man that you are going to, your chores include like mowing the lawn and, you know, chopping wood and whatever. And then for women, it's like doing the laundry and whatever else with their mothers and like learning how to sew. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, then you go into dynamics of relationships as you get a little bit older and you understand from the way that your mom treats your dad Mm -hmm. that... The woman is to be quiet when the man is talking and that the woman prepares dinner for the man to come home from work. And obviously a lot of these sort of gender norms are starting to become a bit archaic, but they manifest in different ways. There's a big reason why, you know, men feel extremely sort of emasculated if a woman refuses them because we're taught from a very young age that women are meant from, they're like sort of a toy for men. They exist for the purpose of satisfying men. Our gender norms, our gender roles are so deeply ingrained and so quickly learned that it's, it's so scary yeah. to think about escaping them. So that when people like Julie and I and, and anybody else in the LGBTQIA community chooses to challenge these notions that a fucking piece of fabric shaped differently could identify you (laughs) as something else that that you wearing instead of a piece of piece of jean that is cut for both legs and just choosing to wear it where it doesn't do that makes you less of a man or a woman right it doesn't make any sense why is blue for men what about colors is gender nothing and this is where i say gender is a construct but we can't accept that fact when I get my hair buzzed down on the sides and I go into work, I get laughed at. Because my hair, even though it is short right now, it still sort of like fits into this like androgynous like lady look that's going like that like people think is going on, but like but then I buzz it down and I like get too masculine and it's like uncomfortable for people. It's like and as soon as especially female-bodied individuals start to tread into the space of maleness and start to emasculate men, it's even more dangerous. So we really sort of have to tread very lightly in this in this concept of what is for women, what is for men? Well, nothing. Nothing exists right. for a gender. Right. But we've curated this, this, this sort of society and this culture around gender and binaries for, I mean, since the beginning of civilization, since the dawn of, since the dawn of man and woman, we've curated it. I mean, man and woman itself is already a, is already a binary that needs to be destroyed because there are people that are born with chromosomes that don't match that identity, that don't right. that don't match that that um, that that physicality, but we want to isolate men and women, straight and gay, um, etc. Like all of these different identities, because it makes life easier. Like everybody fits into a box, and there's only two things that you need to understand. It's a lot easier than having to understand right. eight, nine, eleven. 30 things. Yeah. Just like, oh my god, you're confusing me. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of, within the space of not conforming to um, one gender or another, or one sexuality or another, there's, there's a lot of um, questions like, well, why couldn't you just pick one? Or why couldn't, like, why couldn't you just fit into this norm that mm-hmm. I have understood my entire life that you're now shattering and making me uncomfortable about? Mm-hmm. So, the, the idea of like being comfortable has always been 
especially with older generations, I, I find a lot of the time is is pushing that comfortableness is terrifying. It's terrifying. And and I have been forced to sort of understand that because we do, it is our job to understand where that fear is and meet it halfway and, and try to present ourselves as something close to what we understand while still keeping our integrity and and being respectful. See, perhaps I'm perhaps I'm very sort of headstrong in, in that place, but I refuse to ever accept to meet people of their ignorance. I I refuse I refuse to accommodate ignorance. Like I, older generations, for them, our identities are like it's an upheaval. Like they just can't even process it. Yeah, it's like like rip their guts out. And what's so interesting about that is that it's so deeply rooted for them in how intense gender roles were when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at my grandparents, for them, my identity just shakes them to the core because I am just utterly ripping apart all of the structures that they've known since they were right. children. And as we get older and as the generations go on they are becoming um, more open to sort of deviation from the standards but as you said like a lot of the time you're sort of as a individual meeting people at their ignorance and while we do it and I, and I still I still do it. I don't want to but I still find myself doing it we meet them there for their comfort because ignorance is something that's very hard to shatter. And when you do it, it can like turn people's fucking, their heads upside down. I do want to reiterate, I don't think that I would meet someone, meet someone at a place of, of ignorance, but meet, I guess I just, it's important to think about like, how vastly different things were when you're approaching someone about issues like LGBTQIA rights or, or anything like that, things were vastly different. So I would say that I, I don't meet people at their ignorance, but I would meet people at their understanding and try to further their understanding. Sure, absolutely. Um, that could be a good way to look at it, because you, you would figure if you're meeting them halfway with ignorance, then that just has a negative connotation. Whereas, right. like you were just saying, meeting them halfway to their level of understanding. Their level of understanding. Because now what you're going to do is is exactly what's happening to me at this very exactly. moment. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> Education. Know like, you know what? I come from a different generation from you. From you, you know, so, yeah. so it's, a lot of this stuff hasn't been opened up to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm not against it. Exactly. I, I'm not looking at coming into it with a negative right. connotation. So I'm willing to, and I want to understand it. So I'm listening. Right. So, so what you are doing, both of you, is is saying, hey, by the way, here's this, this, and that. You know, and and you're you're helping me come to a level of understanding that I just right. haven't had. So I think that's a it's a beautiful way to put that. Right. Yeah. You know, not not that her way was you know in a negative way. But yeah. Just like, because oh, I do I do understand that that anger and I do understand that mm. I do not want to lower myself to this person's um, lack of understanding yeah. of my position in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
there is, I've, I've found an ability to cut my losses with certain people and then also like approach things with another perspective for other people that I think that have a lot of potential to understand where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. There's always an, a navigation like between like how much, how much is this person going to respect my ideas and how much, it, how much time is it worth, you know? Um, but that's just talking about educating people about sensitivity. I guess and that's where I, where I kind of draw a line is in the sense of like, I don't feel responsible for anybody's education. Oh, right. I, I don't feel, that's true. In, in, in the marginalized communities are in no way responsible at all. That's true. For educating bigots. Now, it's not to say, it's not, you're not, and, and, and it's not to say that you can't be willing to have conversations with people that matter to you about why their opinions might be hurtful or whether their ignorances might be sort of trampling your identity in certain ways. Right. You can be willing to have those conversations. Compassionate activism is really important. Mm -hmm. I took an entire course on it. I think it's really relevant. I think that if there's, there's a lot of sort of um, power and the ability to have conversations without fueling yourself with anger and being able to sort of recenter and recognize what people's roots exist and having those conversations. But like, that's a capacity thing. Like you can't always have right. compassionate conversations with Definitely and not. people. Oftentimes they're going to trigger you. And when people start to ask questions, it's really important to, for, for, for allies or people that are curious about your experience to remember that they can ask them. You're not required to answer them. Sometimes that's true. You're not going to want to talk about it, and you're not you're not responsible for right. educating the masses. Mm. Google exists, and you don't owe mm. anyone answers. I've been I've been telling that to people a lot because if, if someone isn't going to approach you with respect and and even like a formulated question, you don't owe you don't owe anyone an answer unless they're going to respect you. Okay. So yeah, and on that note, uh, we are going to wrap up. So, Danny, if you, I always give my guests an opportunity to plug any projects or things that they have going on in their lives. If you want to plug, insert plug here. Sure. Um, currently, um, working on a manuscript. Um, that will be sort of a bigger project that I've done. Um, it will be available to the masses when it is ready. It'll be a while though because it's like a writing. Yeah, I'm going to be um, creating a, a manuscript that uh, is very much driven by a lot of upheaval that has happened in my life recently. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it might be a sort of combination of both writing and music. So we'll see oh. how that plays out. Um, yeah, keep everyone posted. Once again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks it's been a pleasure. for everyone being here. And bye. And bye. Yeah, see you. Bye. Full Talk is an independent podcast hosted by Julia Davis and run independently out of Philadelphia, PA. Quill Talk was established with the intention of creating a safe space for conversations about identity. Season 2 Voices is a narrative exploration of fear surrounding LGBTQIA identities in America. Quill Talk does not support racist, sexist, ageist, ableist, homophobic, transphobic, biphobic, xenophobic, prejudiced, or hateful comments. Special thank you to our sound editor, Carlos Johns Davila, intro and outro by Jeff Kim. Yeah.